When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris, here, as always, with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. No intro music this week, so it's a little awkward. I uh, just moved in to a brand new house. Uh, I moved into this brand new house on the day of uh, Tennessee's first game. Uh, I'll go into that a little bit closer here in a minute, but I don't suggest doing that. Uh, Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If that sounds like something you want to listen to on the reg, go over to Apple, Spotify, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. And uh, if you subscribe, you'll get our new episodes when they drop every Monday. And uh, you won't miss a thing. Plus, there's plenty of other great content over there on the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. Uh, for if you're a fan of sports in the state of Tennessee, you gotta gotta be there at Charlie underscore Burris at Zach TNT at A to Z Sports, and now A to Z Sports for all your Vols coverage if you want it. Um, yeah. So the day of the game, Thursday, September second, very exciting. I was uh, moving into a brand new house. Didn't was supposed to have Wi-Fi that morning, so that I could uh, do the show with Jonathan Crompton, which I've been lucky enough to be tapped to do. We're doing, a, if you don't know, halftime post game. Uh, Jonathan and I, former Vols quarterback, uh, he he talks uh, with me about the game, and we just give our analysis. And I had to drive all the way to my parents' house, 30 minutes away, and stay there till 1 in the morning uh, to record that show. And as I said, don't do that if that really weird situation ever comes up for you where you are a sports media member and it's the first day of... uh, the sports team, the the sport team that you cover's first game, and you have to move into a new house. Uh, I know that happens very often to a lot of the people in this listener base, and so uh, I'll give you some advice: don't do it. Uh, Zach, first game, it happened. We watched it. Thirty-eight six, Tennessee wins. What are your thoughts? First off, I feel terrible that you had to stay up that late after the game because I'll be honest, I was so tired by Thursday night I started writing my post game column pretty early in the fourth quarter uh finished it you know made made the tweets to it you could kind of tell pretty much knew what you need to know by then and the next morning I woke up and read it and I don't really remember reading or writing much of it at all <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had like one eye closed writing it the whole time so yeah, that that sounds like that was challenging for you on a Thursday night but yeah, the game was uh, not totally what I expected it to be. Um, I was expecting a lot more points, for sure. Uh, and I thought we were going to get that at first, and then the offense just kind of disappeared. The passing game never really looked in sync. Uh, I know it's a 32-point win. I think I remember you saying last week you you wanted to see Tennessee win by at least 28 points, and they did that, but against a really bad team – I, I kind of walked away with more concerns than confirmation that this team's going to get turned around under Hypel. Not saying that, that they won't. I just have more concerns now than I thought I would after the first game. The initial look at that offense is or was I, I, exciting to start. I, you know, saw it initially as extremely fast. They scored extremely fast, went up 14-0 quickly. And you go, okay, okay, we're cooking a little bit. This Tennessee's probably going to just, clearly they outmatch Bowling Green. That was clear throughout the entire game. Um, but you just kind of thought, okay, Tennessee's going to win this game by 50 and go into week two. And you're still not going to know much about this team. 
but you, hey, that was a fun first week. And let's go from there. Then it stalled out. And I think you saw the first iteration of what a lot of us fear about this hypo offense, where when this thing stalls out, it can go downhill real fast. As fa- It can go downhill as fast as that offense is, <laughs> basically. Uh, because you just, they run through three plays so quickly. And if they don't go well, if you don't get the first down, if you don't extend the drive, the other team just gets the ball back immediately. And Bowling Green, all credit to them, did a great job from the second quarter on when they got the ball. They held on to it and found a way to get first downs. I mean, they came up with six points. They stink. They're a really bad football team that's probably not going to win many games this season. But uh, again, credit to them because they did what will beat this Tennessee team. Just the Bowling Green version of that, <laughs> which means they lost by 32. But I I don't know how this translates to SEC play still, because that was the whole question during this offseason. How does this offense translate into SEC play? Nobody's really tried this crazy breakneck, rip it as fast as you can type offense. And my confidence after that first game is not exactly through the roof. But you do also have to hedge all of that and say, a win is a win is a win. You won by 32. This wasn't a loss. This wasn't a complete disappointment in any way at all. In fact, it wasn't really a disappointment at all. It just brings up questions. That's how I would walk away. Am I disappointed? It was that awful? No, it brings up questions. That's how I would put it. I mean, it's it's a good thing they were playing Bowling Green. You know, it's one of the worst teams statistically in college football last year. And their coach actually seemed pretty happy after the game with how that with how everything turned out. I mean, they weren't expecting the win, obviously. I mean, of course, you 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 don't tell your players that, but you're realistic. You know what your goal is. And to score 38 points against a really bad team that way, the way that Tennessee did, they ran the ball pretty much at will because they had to. Bowling Green kind of sold out to take the pass away. Uh, Tennessee took advantage of that. I mean. Hypo did the right thing. He called the game the right way. He he took what Bowling Green uh, gave Tennessee. It's just a little concerning that it was so easy for Bowling Green to take away the passing game from Tennessee. That was the biggest concern. Joe Milton, he didn't look great. His receivers didn't help him out. I mean, they dropped several passes, but they had several plays, I guess, that were drawn up well. You had receivers open going down the field, and Milton just overthrew them, and how many times have we seen that over the past couple of years? Just passes slightly off target, not crisp with it. That that's got to get fixed if Tennessee's going to beat Pittsburgh this week. To be honest, and maybe you know, before we get too far into it, maybe Bowling Green is a little bit better. Maybe they're an improved team this year. We'll find. I think they play Minnesota in a couple of weeks. I think that's right. So we'll see how good they are, how they measure up against a team that we know is pretty good in Minnesota that, that gave Ohio State all they could handle. You know, maybe in retrospect, this win looks a lot better than it did on Thursday night. That's what you got to be hoping for for your Tennessee fan. So I definitely walk away saying, yes, I have these questions, but I'm not going to make any harsh judgments at all until even the Pitt game might be too soon, but Pitt will be a much better test of how this is going to go. And specifically, what kind of adjustments is Heupel willing to make in the face of his offense sputtering out? Um, because if Milton if Milton can't make the plays, which he, and we'll talk, we're going to flesh all of that out because that was obviously the biggest question everybody had. Um, but if Milton can't make those plays, Heupel's going to have to do something, is the answer somebody like, Tyon Evans, Jabari Small, just leaning on the running game because that's that's the adjustment that Heupel made uh, in this game, and it worked. They ran all over Bowling Green and won by 32. I, I mean, the running game looked great. Tyon Evans looked awesome. Uh, Jabari Small had some impressive runs. Like it, they made it work. the The offensive line, in a general sense, looked good, but 
kind of take that with a grain of salt because again, Bowling Green uh, looked really not good. But there's there's a lot to unpack here. But that is the one when you're looking at a thousand foot view, trying to see the forest instead of the trees. You go this offense, everything, everything. It just hinges on this offense. It just hinges on how that offense goes. Does the offense work? Then the game is probably going to go well. Does the offense not work? Uh, your defense is going to get absolutely worn ragged and your offense, you're not going to score any points and you're going to continue to give the ball uh, back to the other team. Like things can just go south with this style of play so quickly. And I say all of that and end it with what I started with on this comment. I'm not going to make harsh judgments about how it might go further into the season until I see it against a better team. I just, I just can't. I mean, Bowling Green clearly is not, not very good. I just totally, totally outmatched. Or like you said, maybe they are better than we think. I just don't know that a team that their starting center uh, is a walk on true freshman. I'm not sure that team's going to end up being great, but we'll see. And, and I don't want to be too negative. I mean, we're making, we're just kind of calling it like we've seen it here based on watching a lot of football over the years. And that's just kind of the takeaway is from what we saw is, yeah, there could be some struggles. If you want some positivity, maybe Heupel's offense is a, an offense where even Pittsburgh or some of the better teams that Tennessee faces once they get in the SEC play, they have to make a decision. We're going to stop the run or we're going to stop the pass. Bowling Green obviously sold out to stop the pass. Tennessee accepted that. They went with the running game. They did what they needed to do to win the game. You said the offensive line looked great. They should have looked great against Bowling Green. But how many times have we seen Tennessee play against a, a team that's not that great? You know, UMass in 2017 uh, when they played Ohio under Butch Jones, teams they should have blown out, and they couldn't even score more than, what, 17, 20 points in those games. And those teams were – kind of on on par with Bowling Green, especially UMass at the time, which hadn't won a game in, I think, in a couple of years whenever Tennessee played them in, in 2017. So even compared to what we've seen in recent years, this was a lot better performance than what we've, what we've been seeing from Tennessee ad- against these types of teams. So there is there is plenty of positivity to be had after this win. Yeah, I certainly do not walk away from this wanting to sound overly negative, although I am certain that we do. It just is, it's the nature of what we're doing. I'm not here to come and rah, rah, rah. They played so well. They played so well. They did. They did a lot of things right. Offensive line played pretty well. The run game was great. The, The defense held Bowling Green to six points, and they showed that against Bowling Green, their kind of bend, don't break mentality was just fine. You will win with Josh Eiple's offense. You will win a lot of games if you hold a team to field goals. You absolutely will. Uh, and so, like, there's plenty of positive takeaways. But the stuff, I mean, let's be totally honest. The people who listen to this show, you don't want to hear us talk about how everything Tennessee did was great. Because, first of all, it wasn't. I'd be lying to you. And second, the stuff people want to hear about is how what went wrong and how do we fix it and how do we move forward from here. Like, that is the most compelling stuff. So, don't know what to tell anybody that doesn't want to hear that this isn't the show for you. But uh, on that note, even again, not trying to be overly negative. This is just the stuff you got to talk about. Joe Milton. He initially looked really good, really composed, was making good plays. And then you saw him attempt his first big pass down the field. You already mentioned this. He just blew it over the head of the receiver by 10 yards. I don't know if it was 10 yards, but it was like it was close. I think too it was Cedric, far. Cedric Tillman on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. Just airmailed it big time. And everybody talked, Milton's got that arm. Milton's got that arm. Clearly he does. That is 100% clear. The question is now, can he hone it in? Can he get comfortable? Can he become a quicker decision maker? Because that was also clear when plays broke down after – Clearly, Bowling Green sold out on stopping the pass. Plays broke down, and he had a tough time making something out of nothing. Um, so he did some things right. He had some really nice plays where he he used his feet. That's encouraging. He's not the quickest guy on planet Earth. Had somebody comment that he he looks like he's running with cement in his shoes. <laughs> he does have a really heavy step, 
but that does, you know, if you can make the play, you can make the play. I don't care what you look like doing it. Can you make the play? Um, and, and so there was encouraging stuff from Milton where I go, this kid can do this to a certain extent. Can we go past that point? And can you do that consistently? Um, and I mean, that point, we all saw it, is finesse. Can he play with more finesse, with more touch? And it's it's yet to be seen. Maybe he just needs more game time. What what do you think of his performance? I thought he looked pretty composed, like you said. I thought he, along with the entire offense, looked well coached. I thought they were pretty much where they needed to be. There wasn't mass confusion. As fast as the offense was moving, you would kind of expect more confusion, especially in game one. So I think Josh Heupel did a really good job of preparing his team. Um, I, I really don't have any qualms about Heupel's coaching or, or what I saw. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's a handful of things you could change. I mean, it really came down to Heupel, I mean, to Milton's accuracy and the decision-making. Like you said, there's a couple times that there were some open receivers that he didn't necessarily see. And look, he had, he had a ton of time. There was times he was just standing back there with nobody around him. I mean, he had all the time in the world on certain plays. I mean, Bowling Green just covered it well. Like I said earlier that some of the receivers didn't necessarily help help him out, had a couple of tough drops that they really have to get cleaned up. It it's it's such a strange situation for Tennessee to be in where they you could probably go to Hendon Hooker and I I'm betting the game is probably the exact same final score. I I don't think it would be much different. Um, Harrison Bailey then is operating as the number three quarterback. And you wonder what, what did he show in spring or in spring and fall practice that Heupel didn't necessarily like, because all we've heard is the hype surrounding Bailey coming out of high school. And it just feels like he hasn't really got the chance to really show us what he can do. And, and it's, it's mysterious to me. What can this kid do? You know, how good is he? Was he just overhyped coming out of high school? Cause he played with, Eric Gilbert and Ricky White, who went to Michigan State uh, as a wide receiver, or was the hype legitimate? Uh, you, you feel like if he was as hyped, if he's as good as the hype suggested, then he could perform extremely well in a Josh Heupel offense. I mean, if Dylan Gabriel can come out of nowhere and play the way he did under Heupel at UCF, you would think Bailey would be even better. That is one of the most perplexing things uh, about this team, without a doubt. I mean, you saw Hinden Hooker comes in for, for garbage time. And you kind of go, just as you were saying, what is what is Bailey doing where he is not that guy? It's, it is kind of tough to imagine. Um, and yeah, maybe he was just overhyped and it's just not there. We're not at those practices the entire time to really see what they're seeing that might be causing this. Uh, to be the case and may, maybe they are just interchangeable also in that second spot and Hypel just arbitrarily was like hooker get in the game that could also be the case we, we don't really know um, but that that was definitely interesting because you you do have to imagine already people were talking during this game. What are we the backup quarterback? Backup quarterback. He's Milton's not playing now. Well, backup quarterback. Milton did not play bad enough to go to the backup quarterback. He he, barely, you know, he handed the ball off just fine in that second half. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if that's what you have to do, I don't care who's doing that. Just give it to the guy that can get the ball in the end zone, whether that's that's Milton or a running back or a wide receiver. I, I don't care. Yeah. The only way that's happening is if the game's like tied at halftime in the third quarter and then Hypo needs somebody that can get something going. That's exactly. the only way on earth that he was making any sort of change. And it's the only way he'll make a change against Pittsburgh too. I mean, it's going to be Joe Milton and it's going to be Joe Milton until Tennessee can't win with Joe Milton or until he just proves that he's a liability at quarterback. You got to, and especially if you're in Heupel's position and you're known as this quarterback whisperer, you got to stick by your guy. That mm -hmm. makes you look not not great if you immediately pull the dude that you went and got and that you put as the starter, and then he plays one game where he's not a hundred percent. You know, he plays about sixty percent of probably what you want, 
and you just yank him immediately. Like that's not a good look. Heupel's not going to do that. He, he has to ride with this guy. Now, I think I think we'll see him have much more of a plan for a quarterback change than like Jeremy Pruitt did because Pruitt at times was just he had it, he was just making it up as he went along. I mean, he was kind of a fly by night plan there where we're going to put Garantano in. No, we're going to start Jawan Jennings and run a trick play and put Maurer in. And there was never really any solid plan, it felt like. With Heupel, he's done this for so long, dating back to his playing days when he when he, when he he coached Oklahoma and Missouri. I mean, he is he has so much experience at quarterbacks. It's, it's probably the best quarterback guy Tennessee's had on campus since Cutcliffe or, or Lane Kiffin, you know, one of those two. I mean, this is the first time that Tennessee's had somebody that I really trust with the quarterbacks. I mean, I, I can't – with Pruitt, you could say, what's he doing with Garantano? Why is he still the guy? What what kind of stuff does Garantano have on Pruitt that he's getting this opportunity? I don't think we're ever going to think that with Heupel. If he thinks Milton's the guy, then how am I to say that he's not? You know, what, what credentials would I have to question Heupel – when it comes to quarterbacks. Yeah, exactly. But, and this, you, you wrote about this, um, just in a couple of days after the game, Dylan Gabriel had, had comments, Dylan Gabriel, who excelled in Heupel's offense. That's why these comments are so interesting to me. Excelled in Heupel's offense in a way that you would not expect from who, a guy who at the time was a, I believe a true freshman arm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, where is this? He said, this is from uh, an article by 247 Sports where Gabriel said he felt uneasy at times in 2020 because of misguided game plans. This is from the article, quote, UCF's game plans also seen misguided in 2020. Scouting incorrectly predicted defensive, scouting incorrectly predicted defensive looks in eight of 10 games, Gabriel said. It appears UCF, Succeeded in spite of the plans and scouting, the quarterback became obsessed with his progressions against certain coverages so he could better make decisions after the snap rather than worry about play calls. Quote, you felt uneasy, unquote, said Gabriel. I, I mean, the, I, I don't totally get this. That's concerning. I mean, that's concerning from a guy who's played inside this offense for an entire season. And I also go, Okay, that's not good. I don't like the sound of that. But this kid played really well. So what? What? Well, I think I think what he's talking about there is Heupel's offense is kind of based on you game plan for an opponent and you're putting in plays based on what you think that opponent's going to do defensively. Which, that's kind of why Heupel's playbook, he really doesn't really have a playbook. And which is kind of what... Uh, Gabriel's talking about here the offense is so simple where they're only running a handful of plays and that's something I've seen UCF fans complain about whenever Heupel left to take the Tennessee job uh, you, you you know we kind of went back and looked and seen what UCF fans were saying what they were complaining about and that was one of the chief complaints was Heupel's playbook is not very expansive I mean Alex Dolish has talked about that this preseason about how they don't have this huge playbook they're just kind of running these vertical routes. They're trying to go find the open spaces in, in the field and get the ball to the player in open space. That's the whole point of the playbook. There's not a lot of changing calls at the line of scrimmage. There's not a lot of reading the defense and, and getting the call based in on you know what you see and changing protections and all that. It's just a very simple offense, and that's kind of the concern. It's going to work against UCF opponents, is it going to work against Georgia and Florida and these complex defenses where they're giving you looks that, you know, they're trying to confuse you. They're they're coming with multiple defensive fronts and they're they're trying to disguise their coverage to look like one thing and you're trying to attack it based on what you think they're going to do. I mean, that could be something where a team like Georgia, uh, look at how they shut Clemson down. What are they going to do to this, you know, Tennessee offense? Yeah, I think it could be brutal. Georgia's defense, that's a completely other conversation, but ooh, they looked good. And they so did Clemson's. Clemson's. Yeah, Clemson's defense clearly was also really good. Or or George, either Clemson's offense is not as good as advertised. Georgia's offense 
is about what I would expect under Kirby Smart. I would put it that way. So not very yeah. good <laughs> in a general sense. I mean, it's it's good enough for them to win. But boy, that defense, that, that defense, defense up front. Deal. I mean, that's going to be the offensive line's going to have their hands you know, full with that. They got some dudes. What was it like? Eight sacks against Clemson. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, but my but whole I point can, is, yeah, this this yes. offense is. They're not steaming up. I mean, it's the terminology that Gabriel used, like Gus Malzahn does. And he seems to think that that was a big issue for him, which is kind of surprising given his offensive production under Heifel. How much do you really have to complain about there? But at the same time, I mean, these are concerns, I think, that are legitimate. I completely agree. It's just it's going to be a, a wait and see to just mm-hmm. see For how sure. this goes. That's, that's the tough part of it to give analysis right now. I don't think that we have seen enough to really say um, you did. You saw comments somewhat similar to this from drew Locke, where his, yeah. his comments were kind of like, did the offense work? Yes. Did it set me up as good as it could have for the NFL? No, which I think that kind of comes with territory. Nobody in the NFL runs this offense, and they shouldn't. It would fail uh, in the NFL just because of the the level of, of talent in that league. Uh, it just wouldn't, just wouldn't do. And so that's. But at the same fair. time, you see somebody like Patrick Mahomes playing under, you know, playing in that Texas Tech offense where it was kind of that same style. Yeah, it was similar. Yeah, and it's. Yeah, it's worked for him. He he's doing just mm-hmm. fine in the NFL, I'd say. So, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. He's yeah. done all right. Uh, I don't know. It, it just it's clearly an offense that's made so a quarterback can have the simplest time possible making plays. You know, it it is just it's a lot of screens. You you kind of said just these vertical routes, like simplify, 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 and then. As this this quote is saying, predict what the defense is going to do. You could see that. I think it worked on the first couple of drives for Tennessee. They made it look easy, and so that's that's good game planning up front. If, and then Bowling Green adjusted, and then it just threw that offense to a loop. I mean, how do you view this game if Joe Milton connects on two of those long passes, and this score is closer to the final score that you actually predicted for the game? Yeah, uh, you know, if they scored fifty some points, how do you, how do you feel then if he just connects two of two of those passes? Crompton said exactly this on on our post game show, uh, and it does totally change the way that you feel about this game. I think because you you don't have that uneasy feeling about like, oh, is this kid just gonna blow these these passes like this? Like it it kind of gave you direct evidence of what we probably feared <laughs> about him is that he, he sort of has stone hands. Um, and obviously the score would have been Tennessee would have covered. It would have been a, a better, I guess just visually aesthetically, mm-hmm. it would have felt a little better to win by 40, whatever, whatever that would have been an additional four, 14 points. That would have been 50. That would have been a 50 point win, right? Am I doing that? One by 36, yeah. so 14 more points would be a 50-point win. Um, yeah, I mean, that's going to make you feel good. And he he did connect on the one, essentially, Hail Mary <laughs> into the end zone. Yeah, it was a heck of a reception, really. Yeah, it was a great adjustment, great play uh, by the receiver. But, yeah, it, it does. It definitely makes you feel differently. And, like, some of these drops, like Jalen Hyatt after the game uh-huh. tweeted something to, to the effect of, like, I'll – I'll be better that's on me. So I had something, you know, along those lines where he was kind of saying, because it was two or three drops he had. Those were the primary ones um, that people noticed. And so, yeah, you think if those balls get caught, if he connects on maybe just one of those long passes, the feeling is probably different, but that didn't happen. And football's not going to go perfectly for you. And so we we're stuck with what we saw. Uh, you I know. think that's what's so confusing for me about the Bailey Milton kind of conversation is that Milton didn't really do anything special. He didn't show off anything just amazing to me. He he seemed almost like he was just a game manager, and that's not what you expect from the quarterback in a Josh Heupel offense. So 
What is he doing that Harrison Bailey can't? And can Harrison Bailey connect on those deep passes that, that aren't incredibly deep? I mean, you're talking, what, 30, 40 yards down the field maybe? Can can Bailey be more consistent and connect on that pass? Because that's what you're going to have to do in this offense. When, when you have that opportunity for a splash play to beat a team like Florida, uh, even really probably Kentucky and especially Ole Miss, some of these games that might be winnable for you might be, you know, games where Tennessee can pull off an upset, you're going to have to connect on a couple of those. You cannot let those play. you got an open receiver that's got a couple of steps on the defensive back. You can't miss that. You're not going to win the game if you do. Does Bailey have more accuracy on that throw? And if so, why is he not the starter? That's a great point. And this is the type of stuff that, to me, it gets fleshed out when you play better teams because Milton – if Milton is set up to be exposed, he will be exposed against a better team and it will become obvious. You will not have the handicap of playing a snoozer team. And I, I think it's give it, give it time and these things will get ironed out. That's just how it feels with this season. We got to see some real competition and kind of go from there. Cause I just, every, we can talk all day in circles about how this offense might or might not, work against these other teams. But the fact is this Tennessee played a team that's not very good and they steamrolled them even still. And that's all we know so far <laughs> we, we want to be concerned about all of this. I won't be overly concerned until this pick game. And we're going to talk about this pick game for which I'm not uh, in, in incredibly confident in, but uh, with that being said, was there anything else with this game before we move on that you wanted to uh, to touch on before we get to to Pittsburgh. I guess it's really a good good place for Tennessee Tennessee fans to be in a place where you can kind of pick at a thirty two point win and complain a little bit. It's a far cry from losing to Georgia State and trying to rationalize what went wrong and why it's going to be okay. I mean, we're talking about picking apart a thirty two point win where. The game was never in doubt. Tennessee fans never really had to sweat. Uh, that's that's a pretty good place to be in. So I, it, it was still a – would like to have seen a little more, but it was still a successful uh, first game for Heupel. Yeah. At the end of the day, you can certainly say that. They didn't Georgia State it, and for that, we are incredibly thankful. Uh, keep that up. And this game against Pittsburgh coming up, it should be fun. I think it's it's an exciting matchup of teams of similar talent. I think on paper you probably give Pitt the edge. Is is Pitt a fit? What is the the yeah, line? Yeah, I game? saw they were an early favorite. I think it's pretty close though. Yeah, I gotta imagine it's close to even. Oh come on! But really, the I mean Pittsburgh and Tennessee kind of had very similar opening opening day games. Uh, they both played really bad teams. They both won pretty easily. I think Pittsburgh, you know, they scored over 50 points. But again, you know, Tennessee's a couple of drop uh, missed passes away from scoring the same amount of points against Bowling Green. So it's not really – it's a bit of a gap there in scoring, uh, as you'd imagine. Can't really compare it all that much. But, you know, they're, they're in a similar spot. They're very similar teams. I do, I do think that. Let's see, fifty-one to seven over UMass, and yeah, UMass is woof. Yeah, and the um, Athletic made their uh, they ranked all one hundred and thirty FBS teams before the season. I think Bowling Green was like one twenty-five, and UMass was one twenty-seven, or that was flip-flopped. <laughs> Either way, they're both in like the bottom five. So it was kind of a similar outcome, or a, a similar game right. for both teams. Pickett played well. The, their quarterback, 27 for 37, 272. Um, that's the thing that probably concerns me the most generally about Pittsburgh. They got a senior kid under center. And, if, dude, everything comes down to the quarterback. You, you can talk all day. Yeah, Georgia. Georgia's like the one team in college football that's going to rely on their defense this season probably. But most other teams. I mean, it is all about the quarterback what can your quarterback do for you can he make the plays it's it's everything for Tennessee as we've been talking about it's going to be everything for Pittsburgh in this game that's the matchup 
does Tennessee have what it takes to outgame Pitt here? And I, man, it's so close. I predicted last week that Tennessee would win this game. It is in Neyland. It is a noon game, which is always kind of causes strangeness. But uh, what are your thoughts after seeing what we saw on Thursday? I'm thinking this game's probably going to be more of a shootout. Uh, Pitt, they lost both their edge rushers from 2020. Uh, their secondary's young. The interior of their defensive line is actually pretty strong, so this could actually be the opposite of last week where they saw Tennessee with Tyon Evans and Jabari Small you know, beat Bowling Green on the ground. Pittsburgh might try to stop that run game a little more because that's where they're stronger. So Joe Milton's probably going to have to win this game with his arm. Uh, that, that I think we'll really learn a lot more about Joe Milton this week. I think we'll probably see a, a greater emphasis on the passing game. At the same time, that's that's Pittsburgh's strength too is the passing game. So that's how they're going to try to win the game. So we could probably see you know a pretty high scoring game. I think this week that would be fun. I, I think for Tennessee as, as far as that goes in that conversation, Byron Young who is a huge uh, Juco transfer pass rusher coming in for Tennessee supposedly will be able to play this week. He's in NCAA limbo. Thank you. NCAA, you horrific. It's the dumbest reason ever. Why he played like two games at a prep school at some point, like 2017. So that's, hurt his eligibility but he doesn't lose the full year i don't even understand how that's possible it either matters or it doesn't i would think but whatever it's just the ncaa doing dumb things as usual say they they are the team is preparing as if byron young will be a go but they are awaiting the ncaa's decision later this week which will probably end up being about time for the Missouri game is when it'll really happen when they get to go play. <laughs> yeah, they love they they were supposed to make those announcements about like Euros Plavšić all the time, and he didn't play for a whole half of a season. So, yeah, the NCAA loves doing crap like that. It's garbage. That would be huge though to have just if nothing else, even if he doesn't end up playing that well or panning out as a great player, the added depth mm-hmm. that this defense needs right now it's and, just massive and the defensive line played pretty well against bowling green i know they it's did. not a good team but they look pretty well coached and, and that's what you expect with rodney gardner out there yeah i i mean you you have one of the stalwart longtime best assistant coaches in, in college football at that position right now i mean they they looked the way that i was hoping that they would look for the talent that this team has which Overall, when you think about it, is not not what you want out of an SEC football team at the moment. And so the, the way that they played, hey, Bowling Green may, might not be good, but you still have to make the plays, and they did. They were living in Bowling Green's backfield for a lot of that game. And that's encouraging. Does it translate to a good team? This It all goes back to what we've said a hundred times so far on this show. I got to see it against a better team. Here's the chance. I mean, this is the chance. What would be so encouraging, and I think would build up tons of confidence in Heifel, is if he could really have a convincing win in this game. It, it would feel, didn't we say this last week, it would feel very similarly to when Tennessee beat NC State mm-hmm. uh, with Dooley in 2012, which hopefully, if that happened, hopefully it would not end the way that Dooley's season did that year. <laughs> uh, but it, it just to get that momentum, off the jump and then head into the swamp uh, two weeks from then. But uh, yeah, that, man, that would be huge, but it, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take improvement from Milton. It's going to take the, the defense, the defense played well against Bowling Green. I, I don't have a ton of criticism for them. As I mentioned, they, they played in sort of a bend don't break way. And if you hold teams to field goals with Heupel's offense, you're probably going to win games where you hold teams to field goals. I'm totally fine with that. And, and so I don't have a ton of criticism for them. Do it against a better team. That's all that I would ask out of them and go, go from there. It just, with what we've seen from these teams, Pitt playing a nobody, Tennessee playing a nobody, it's really hard to project exactly where this is going to go. Are you, are you still hanging out? We'll, we'll get an exact score prediction closer to the end of the show, but are you still hanging out in, in the 
this is a loss for Tennessee arena. Yeah, I, I still, I still feel that way. I, I really don't know what I could have seen in week one to make me not feel that way because Pittsburgh handled business so well. If Pittsburgh had struggled against UMass, maybe I would feel a little different, but I think Pittsburgh has the quarterback advantage with Kenny Pickett. He's experienced. He's He's been here. He knows what he's doing. And he's been in some pretty big games. I mean, you know, they, they he missed some time last year, but I think he beat Florida State, beat Virginia Tech. He kind of, you know, he, he's been in some big games. Um, and they have the coaching advantage, I think, just not that I think Pat Narduzzi's a, a better coach than Heupel. I don't know. But he's been with this program for several years. He has a system in place. He doesn't have to deal with some of the things that Josh Heupel's having to deal with. It's kind of business as usual for for him there at Pittsburgh. That's why I think that they have the advantage in that uh, aspect of the game. Narduzzi has been... Okay. Exactly. That's kind of where I was going. He hasn't showed that he's some superior figure as a coach. Um, some, you know, unbelievable legendary football mind, but he's, he's getting as far as the context of pit football goes, he's getting the job done. I put it that way. Um, and take, take that for what it is. You have a, a longer tenured, more experienced head coach in Narduzzi. Who's, who's been there, done that one big games, coached big games. And the, this one, I, I don't know that you would consider it big. Neither team is ranked. And they're both sort of question I think it's mark teams. Big for Tennessee season and how it's going yes. to go. That's and that was sort of the final conversation I wanted to have with this. Is to me, this game is the cornerstone of this season. I think it really dictates how we feel about Hypel going forward. And it, I, I think back to Pruitt's second year and that BYU game, you had BYU beat. Mm-hmm. And if you don't give up basically that Hail Mary that they threw and ended up tying the game, taking it to overtime, they win in overtime, blah, blah, blah. We all watched that painful garbage. Um, if that doesn't happen and Pruitt wins that game, I think to a certain extent that season feels a lot different. Nine wins feels different than eight wins and so forth. Obviously if you beat Georgia state too, 10 wins feels way different than eight wins. But uh, you know, that, that BYU game could have changed the whole trajectory uh, for, for that season. And ultimately they ended up kind of getting it together on, on the back end, whether those games were ugly as hell or not. And they definitely were. Thank you, Jawan Jennings. Yeah, well, Jawan dragged that team on his back for that season. But it's going to be a game like that where you, it just is, it's a, uh, what's the, a trend setter, a, a, a tone setter, a tone yeah. setter for your season is the way that I would put it. Well, if you if you win if you beat Pittsburgh you're obviously going to beat Tennessee Tech you're halfway to a six win season and September's not even over I mean it would be so huge for that it would give the fans so much confidence and I would just be I don't expect Tennessee to go to the swamp and beat Florida even if they're three and zero and they beat Pittsburgh but I do look forward to that atmosphere and just how incredible that game will be even though it's at the swamp after last year I don't take any of those games for granted. Absolutely. <laughs> do not do that. The These games are huge, and you will go back and reference them. Uh, I'll, I'll say, I think we look back at this game in some form or fashion. You go back. It's how we're talking about this BYU game and the Georgia State game. We've mentioned both multiple times now on this one episode. I think this game will be one in Hypelstenia where we look back and we go, that one was huge because it, it had... It gave Tennessee momentum going forward in that season. You ended up beating South Carolina. You ended up beating Missouri or whatever. Or you look back and you go, you totally blew that game. Pittsburgh steamrolled you. You lost in the swamp. It all went downhill from there. I think this is when we look back on with a feeling like that. And that no, no pressure, you know, no pressure, Josh Heupel. But that's (laughs) I that is just how I see this game. It's massive for for the Heupel tenure at Tennessee and he's lucky I think that it's Pitt and not 
Oklahoma like it could have been, which shoot me in the face. Why are we still? I believe the Oklahoma game in the next couple seasons, right, is yeah. still on the schedule. Heupel and- does have an advantage there where you look at the coaches before him. I think Butch Jones had to play at Oregon and at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And obviously they hosted Oklahoma. Jeremy Pruitt had to play West Virginia in his first game ever. And they were they were pretty good that year. That was a pretty much a blowout. Heifel, I mean, Pittsburgh's a tough game, but it's not it's a it's a game we feel is winnable. It's not as tough as what his predecessors have had to deal with. But but I think at the same time, there is a hazard to that because the perception that this is winnable makes you go. Truth. If you lose, it's even worse. You know, because if you, you know, if you lose to Oklahoma, you go, of course we were going to lose to Oklahoma. Of course we right. were. But if you lose to Pitt, and you go, we should have won that one. We should have won that one. And we didn't. Blown opportunity. Could have, would have, could have, should have. Would have, could have, should have. The history of Tennessee football. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really what it's becoming. And so not to put too much pressure on this game, because I think you could lose this. And still recover because you could lose this and you don't let it, you shake it off. You win at Missouri, you beat South Carolina, you win at Kentucky, and it's still a good season overall in terms of what I'm expecting out of Josh Heupel. But you lose this game, the weight of this game just shifts even more to Missouri, to South Carolina, to Kentucky. So get it, get it done early, get the work out of the way and go, you know, that this is one. This essentially guarantees you four wins this season. Mm-hmm. And then Vandy, good Lord. That's more of a guarantee than South Ooh, Alabama almost, right? Boy. I mean, Vandy. Bad. Was, what was the final? The final score was like 28 to three, right? Yeah. They just got like rocked. That, yeah. Rocked by ETSU. So Randy you. Randy Sanders. I mean, good, good on Randy Sanders, boy. <laughs> That's impressive. Um, so this winning this essentially guarantees you five wins. Mm-hmm. And you're at that point to me, I don't want to say you're playing with house money. That's an oversimplification, but you sort of are because five wins is what everyone is expecting. And then everything above that, like we all said going into the season, six and six is gravy. Six and six, you look pretty good for recruiting purposes. You get to a bowl game and you get to have those extra practices for a bowl game. Like that's really nice. And you would have three golden opportunities to get to that six and six point um, in, you know, in SEC play with South Carolina, which I think is very winnable still, even though they, they looked good in, in their opening game against an FCS team, but you know, whatever. Um, and they, they got that grad assistant playing quarterback. Uh, and and like Missouri, Kentucky, like you, you just have a little bit more of the weight off your back if you can win this game, and it just is is what it is. And it's let's put it this way: I'll to put a positive spin on it. It's an exciting opportunity for Tennessee because you could come out on the other end of this week feeling really encouraged, I think, and and really have a, a better feeling about Heupel if he wins this one. Yeah, either way, we're going to have a better feel for what to expect from Heupel this year. I'm really excited just to see how different the offense looks, if it does look any different. I mean, as far as the approach and how they decide to attack Pittsburgh, because that's their thing. They want to attack the defense. We didn't really see them attack Bowling Green. Like we said, they didn't necessarily have to. They're going to have to attack Pittsburgh to win Pittsburgh defense. Pittsburgh's defense is susceptible to giving up big plays. They're going to have to exploit that. Uh, and Tennessee, you know, we haven't talked a lot about their defense, but they're going to have to show up to win this game. The secondary is going to have to play a little better. Uh, I know Alante Taylor wasn't necessarily happy with how Tennessee played on defense against Bowling Green. I think he said today that he gave the defense like a C-plus in their efforts. So I like that he's holding the defense to a higher standard after giving up only six points to Bowling Green. No matter if it's Bowling Green or not, giving up six points is, I mean, that's impressive. I mean, you've got to, that's your job. And they did what they were supposed to do. But it wasn't good enough for Taylor. And I don't think it'll be good enough to beat Pitt. So they will have to play a little bit better. I agree. And it was good to see just that that accountability, the the accountability from Jalen Hyatt, where he he tweeted, I'll be better, uh, or whatever it was that he said. 
like that, that's encouraging to see uh, across the board. Need that kind of leadership on this team. Really wish <laughs> that we're seeing it out of Joe Milton or somebody like that. But as long as it's coming from somewhere, this team needs it badly. And so hopefully it's there. Uh, and it is, <laughs> it's pretty crazy that we come away from that week one game talking so much more positively about the defense than the offense spending the entire offseason being like this offense could be crazy and this defense scares the hell out of me i think to a certain extent the defense still scares the hell out of me but i look at that defense and i go these guys are gonna try their their damnedest and i think in the games where they where the defense gets rocked it really will likely be the fault more so of the offense it will be the offense's fault that this defense gets steamrolled. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the nature of the way that Hypel coaches his team. Uh, but that that's the bulk of, of the conversation, I think, uh, about this this pick game. It, any Anything before we give our final predictions uh, about this that you wanted to throw in? Yeah, wouldn't it be wild after that crazy defensive coordinator search if Tim Banks just ends up being this stud coordinator that, that Hypel <laughs> kind of discovered? Like that would that would be so great. And this you you need some sort of like serendipity to be great. Like you you just do. Mm-hmm. It's I reference it a lot because it just is something that happened recently with Tennessee, but like Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, like you just need a miracle like that where you just go, I recruited this three star kid. Turns out he plays like a six star, you know, and it just turns out he's an all SEC player who's going to go on to a, uh, you know, a nice NBA career. Like maybe shot in the dark defensive coordinator turns out to be a total stud. That would, that would be so amazing. You gotta, you make your own luck, but some good luck would be really nice right now <laughs> with Tennessee. Cause they just keep getting rolled over and rolled over and, God, it's it's so bad. Well, and let's let's do uh, before we finish. We'll finish with our our score predictions and go from there. But we got some questions on the old tweet machine. Just sent out a call. Hey, send in questions. We're recording the podcast, and we got a few comments here. Jacob Ginn, he says, and and first of all, to all of these folks, thanks for writing in. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, Jacob Ginn says, my feelings on that game, this going back to the Bowling Green game, he says, my feelings on that game changed so much from Thursday to today. Watching so many better teams struggle against equally bad or worse teams on Saturday uh, just made me so much more grateful that for once we finally just handled business in an easy game. Now, that's a positive and I mm-hmm. think a pretty cogent take. I, I like that's that's fair. You saw some other teams not, not do so hot. Yeah, Oklahoma uh, almost lost to Tulane. Yes, they did at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And and in a yeah, because it was it was hurricane affected, I believe. Um, ended up being played in uh, in Norman, and the what was it forty to thirty five? I think was the final score. Yeah, of the game? yeah, way and, closer. And Tulane had a shot. Yeah, you know, about a yard short on a scramble on fourth and 13. And that's a completely different outcome, possibly. Absolutely. And uh, you you saw Ohio State was down at halftime against Minnesota, which that's a little different where you're you're talking a a team that played good instead of great. (laughs) LSU is ready to fire their coach after one week. I did. We not all see this coming. Yeah. For you know, Burrow that, was an anomaly. That, that yeah, that's exactly what you're talking about. Serendipity there, the the arrival of Joe Brady, who we'd never even heard of before. Mm-hmm. He Ogeron lucked into that, and then Joe Burrow, who we really hadn't heard of coming out of Ohio State much, and all of a sudden they have all this talent, and they still have talent. I mean, they were laying top five classes, and they just get kind of blown out by UCLA, and <laughs> they don't even. Mm-hmm. Look like they belong. Uh, UCLA looks good, though. I, yeah, Chip Kelly's finally got that going. I think. Yeah, because I, I watched them play against Hawaii, and Hawaii is not good, but it was clear in that game that UCLA had some dudes. Where mm-hmm. you kind of went, okay, UCLA, and then they went out against LSU and they proved it. It's I, honestly that sort of progression with that UCLA team. It seemed like what Tennessee could do now. Okay, 
yeah, you beat up on some crap team that you just look dominant against. Can you do it the next week against a better team? LSU, I think a win over LSU would be a little more impressive than a win over Pitt. But, um, you know, hey, Heupel could do something similar this week to what Chip Kelly did uh, so far. But, yeah, I mean, you you, you had uh, North Carolina, lost to Virginia Tech. Uh, Is that the most overhyped team of the year? UNC? Oh, man. Yeah. And and they got, uh, yeah, Ty, Ty Chandler, their starting running back over there. Mm-hmm. Um there was a little bit of shade thrown in. I was looking at the uh, right before we started recording. I was looking at the game notes for the Pittsburgh game that Tennessee sent out, and there was a section there where they talked about the running backs, and it I think it said something like Tennessee lost their top two running backs from last year in Ty Chandler and Eric Gray, but they have not missed a beat with Jabari Small and Tyon Evans. So. <laughs> not sure that's how I'd frame it, but uh, <laughs> they did. I hey Tyon Evans. Looked great. Jabari Small, in in the role that they have to play in taking mm-hmm. up for 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 guys who are dudes, if that's the way you want to put it, they did well. I really liked the performance out of both of those guys. The run the run game was really fantastic in that game. So I can't I can't say anything about that. The run game came up and absolutely performed when Tennessee needed it. So hey, more power to you. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I mean you had. Uh, Iowa State got pushed by Northern Iowa. Wisconsin lost to Penn State. Florida didn't beat Florida Atlantic by maybe as much as you might think they would have. Like, that's one way that you could frame that. And that game was close, even at halftime. Um, It was, yeah, Florida was just 14-0 to at halftime. So it was kind of like Tennessee and Bowling Green at halftime. But uh, otherwise, Indiana got rocked by Iowa. Yeah, like there were just and te- Texas almost lost to Louisiana, which Louisiana is a good team. They they are. They're top 25 and that's Indiana great. Indiana might be another one of those teams that was way overhyped coming into this year too. Yeah. What Washington lost to Montana? Well, that that program's went Ooh. really downhill since Chris Peterson uh, yeah. retired. That's the power of a great coach. But I I love that comment. That's a great uh, great comment, Jake again. Thank you. Um, I, I would say that, that I agree. You, you kind of have a better feeling just mm-hmm. seeing that there's an adjustment period. There is like to go from the practice field to the game is, it is a different thing. You got to get settled in. So hopefully Tennessee gets more settled in week over week. A couple more Jason Pratt. He said, review the jumps made between game one and game two from prior years. Did the old adage hold true? Did they resolve the game one mishaps? The, so is that he's saying review like this coming week review the jumps made between game one and game two i guess that previous coaches made too maybe yeah well tennessee the the season opener last year tennessee played well the strangely that was the south carolina game tennessee won how did they do in pruitt's first year it was west virginia then who probably that's a good question uh, so that would I do know that Butch Jones era, they beat Austin P like 45 to nothing. And then I think they played Western Kentucky and that was that really weird game where Western Kentucky turned the ball over like five straight times or something. Oh yeah. I, I was at that game. Uh, yeah, I think that was one of the, cause I, I went to the Austin P game and it was really hot. It was miserably hot. I remember that. And then I covered the Western Kentucky game that day. Let's see. Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> Tennessee played ETSU, the great and powerful ETSU that steamrolled Vandy uh, over the weekend. And Tennessee won that ETSU game 59 to three in in the second game of the Pruitt tenure after they got rocked by West Virginia. So this is kind of opposite, though. I mean, Hypo really has the good setup here where you play a team where you can beat and kind of work on some things, then you play a, a more talented team, and you can kind of tell more from that than when it happens the opposite, and you beat a team by 50 that you're supposed to beat. Yeah, it's this whole schedule, I think, works in Heupel's favor. We fleshed it all out in the, yeah. the episodes before the season started, but it, it's a favorable layout for Tennessee. Uh, and Sadval98 says, what happened to fourth quarter Garth? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't at the game. Um, so I guess they, they didn't play friends in low places in between the third mm. and fourth quarter. Sad. Maybe that was an oversight. Great. F. Game planning, folks. 
gotta keep your head on a swivel even if you're in the media booth uh go i did hear some copperhead road being played though which is okay crowd favorite good as long as you got copperhead road because the i mean the whole friends in low places that was a recent addition yeah that that wasn't that's not like a long time tradition right um so let's see smith vfl 77 he said in the second quarter did Tennessee's play calling go away from what worked on the first two drives, or did Milton's decision making change? That's that's a good question. What do you think? Oh, I, I do think I thought in the first quarter, I felt like I think I even made the comment. It felt like Milton was going through his progressions pretty well, and then it felt like as the game went along, he he didn't go through them quite as well. And I think that's kind of what happened. I don't know if he was feeling some pressure there, or maybe he let himself not, you know, kind of get comfortable with a 14 to nothing lead and wasn't as aggressive as he should have been. I'm not sure, but I definitely noticed he didn't really seem to stand the field quite in the second quarter, quite like he did in the first quarter. Yeah. I believe went in the third quarter, went an entire quarter without completing a pass, Mm -hmm. Uh, which that's not ideal. Although I think the amount of passes he threw was minimal in, in that amount of time. Uh, And so thank you for the questions. Everybody, thank you for listening. And now, Zach, prediction for the pick game. We're going long already, well over an hour. Tennessee, Pittsburgh, we said it, huge game. Josh Heupel, does Tennessee win in Neyland Stadium on Saturday? Uh, well, before I make my pick, I guess we should talk about our picks from last week. Our score Ooh, let's just do to it. review let's do those it. real quick. Great call. Great call. I had I had forty-one to ten, so. That's fairly fairly close. Close, very close. Do you remember your score prediction? I believe I said fifty-two to ten. Yes, something along that's that correct. line. So, so I was a little more optimistic. I thought maybe Joe Milton would connect on those long passes, and he did not. Uh, and honestly, my forty-one wasn't really. Uh, I, it's not that I had some sort of foresight there where I knew the offense was going to struggle. I kind of thought they would just kind of throttle it down in the fourth quarter, like we see teams do. Uh, get some backups in. So I didn't necessarily – it's close on the score prediction, but it's not how I thought they would get there. So, But as far as the pit game, I, I still lean towards it being a loss. I would love to not feel that way. I think it'll be a little more uh, defensive and obviously going to give up some more points. I have Pitt winning 41-34. to 34. I would say either outcome is is likely – I will say Tennessee pulls it out um, purely because it's at home and you just, you, you got, uh, you got the Neyland vibes on your side. And I'll say it's a toss up and Tennessee gets with a home win final score. I think a shootout is probably about right. Uh, I don't know. 35, 38-35. Tennessee, you win it on a field goal. That would be fun. I hope that happens. (laughs) I really hope that happens. Well, I hope Tennessee just blows them out. That would be nice. But yeah, we haven't had tons of uh, highlights to kind of watch. Even during the Pruitt era, when they beat Auburn and Mississippi State and won some games, you really didn't have many just moments. Which you know, there wasn't even enough to put together a highlight film. Even the Butch era had some moments. You know, the Florida game that they won, the George, the Hail Mary, obviously, uh, beating South Carolina on the field goal in his first year. Yeah, there were some moments there that you could kind of take hold of. There was really nothing during the Pruitt era that really ever felt fun or easy. None of that. I do so badly want to get back to that. It, it's It's been a real joy as a, as a Tennessee Titans fan in the recent years with Vrabel with sort of the comeback the Titans have made to being a pretty decent team. Like there have been some super fun moments, just Derrick Henry trucking people beat the chiefs on a blocked field mm-hmm. goal. Just some really sensational moments that have happened. Let's get some of that back. And I think with a flashy offense, like Heupel has, you have the potential for it here because you could have, I, I don't want to wish a tight situation on Tennessee. As I said, Blow them out. Let's win by 40. But you think about Heupel's offense, like it's made for a two-minute situation, like to just be able to to move the ball that quickly. 
So, I mean, they, they play like they're in a two minute situation during the entire game. So maybe if it comes down, you're tied at 35 last team has the ball and it's Tennessee two minutes left. You get it and win on a field goal with who's the kicker now. Uh, the transfer from USC. Right. Yeah. Uh, no. And he, he came through, he was clutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we thought he made all of his extra points, but uh, I think that's it. Hour five. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to everybody who commented. Um, next week, I'll send out the same question. Hopefully, we'll have some positive stuff to talk about. I I hesitate to say anything because I remember very distinctly last year going into the Kentucky game. We lost. I believe that it was something like you beat South Carolina, you beat Missouri. Oh, you're feeling good. Mm-hmm. And then I think there was a loss or something. And played Kentucky. I don't remember the exact situation, but I remember before the Kentucky game saying, let's just not even talk about a loss. That would be bad. That's not where you want to be if you're if you're Pruitt. We don't even want to talk about a loss before the Kentucky game. So just go out there and win. Let's just do that. And then he lost by 30 at home to Kentucky. So I don't want to... Do I have bad juju when I say things like that? I don't know. Uh, I, I... Everybody has bad juju when it comes to Tennessee at this point, I think. <laughs> That's true. It's kind of that thing where people go, every time Peyton Manning shows up, Tennessee loses. Well, Tennessee just always loses. That's yeah. <laughs> You're going to do that. Your your odds there are good that you're going <laughs> to... Tennessee's going to lose when you show up. That's it. I'm Charlie Burris. Again, no outro music. I don't have my board with me or anything to make that happen. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, a to Z Sports dot com for everything Zach writes and stuff that I'm going to write. Uh, I made that announcement um, last week. Going to be writing stuff on, on the website now. Game day. Me, Jonathan Crompton. Big Orange Game Day show. It is halftime. It is post-game. We're analyzing the action. Uh, so go listen to that. That's on all the socials. A to Z Sports. Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, I believe is all of them. Um and you can go watch that there. And you can go watch the one from the Bowling Green game. And you can listen to all of Cromp's thoughts. Uh, he had plenty. It was great analysis. He's he's killer. Obviously, he comes from that former player point of view. And otherwise, I think that is it. It is Esports Podcast Network feed. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you for listening and continuing to listen. I don't know why you would, but I appreciate it. And with that said, we'll talk to you all next week. See you guys later.